Welcome to In These Moments. I'm Timmy Ogunira. And I'm Wally Mano. The story that we have today was actually brought to me by someone who listened to the podcast as well and wanted to share his experiences with having a disability, especially growing up in the African community, how it affects relations, particularly his relationships in both his nuclear family as well as outside of his family. We're speaking with Dave today. And Wale, I know that you've heard a little bit of this episode. What are your thoughts? I think he he made a lot of points that I knew about the way we view disability, about the way we look at people with disability as Africans in general. I can speak mostly for growing up in Nigeria and seeing how people looked at people with any form of disability. If you lose one finger, there's the way people look at you. You're seen as the the person with with four fingers. And so we're really obsessed with this idea of being whole and, you know, not having any sort of quote-unquote deformities. Dave and I were introduced by a mutual friend. And I know that when he spoke with me, he said he had listened to the podcast and he really, he liked the fact that we talked about issues within our community that we didn't often talk about. And one of the things that stood out to him was a lot of our views. And as someone who has or who lives with a disability, so his affects the left side of his body where his arm on his left side is a bit shorter or smaller than his right side and there are also issues or limits with mobility on the side that is affected he talks about growing up in ghana and then migrate into the United States and and having his experiences here. And it's interesting how they differ. It's interesting how people receive him both within the African community and outside of the African community. Without further ado, we're going to listen to Dave's story. I've been in America for, I'd say, 19 years now. I came here in the year 2000 with my brother and my mother. Currently, I'm a compliance officer. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in the last semester for grad school, so hopefully there's a job out there for me. And other than that, um, I'm just living life. My dad was in England, so it was just me, my brother, and my mom. So my mom was a nurse, so she would go to work, and it would just be me and my brother. Been here for 19 years, and comparing it to what life was like in Ghana, you realize that there are a lot of things that are quite different. You know, over here you have a boiler, right? That you know that heats up the water for you to take a shower. Over there, you have to get a bucket of water and put it in a pot, and you know heat it up. But you couldn't use all of that. You had to get like a, a quarter of it for yourself, and when my brother would have to get a quarter of it for himself, then my mom had to get a quarter for herself. You know, you were sharing toilets with like 10 other people, and yet, you know, I. I always felt like we had it better than most because I remember there was a kid who would steal our food because his mom didn't feed him. You know, like we had food in the window and, and he, he would sneak his hand in the window and take the food. So, you know, life wasn't, wasn't terrible, but it wasn't, we didn't have any complaints. Dave goes into living with his disability and the differences between living with it in Ghana and then moving to the U.S. and how he's received in both places. When when those people say they would say okay, um, then such yeah right. That's tree for you know his hand is like um it's curved right. Or there was also an in yeah. Or his hands hurt him, right. So I never actually knew the diagnosis for it. 
because I guess it was like something that people just didn't talk about. Like my mom was nursing. It was just like, okay, you were born with it. It's unfortunate, but life goes on and life went on. I mean, I played soccer. You know, I was in a neighborhood soccer team. I did hurdles. I did everything. You know, I played basketball. I had a. I was the only kid in the neighborhood that had a basketball. We have we have to make up our own rim and play basketball. So living with it, I wasn't bothered, you know, because people are curious, but then once they inquire about what it is, you know, they don't think much about it. But the, the worst is when someone wants something from you and they can't get it from you, and then they go back to their notes saying, that's why your hand is like that. I can picture the guy who said that. His dad owned the building that we were living in. They were quite wealthy. And he wanted something from me. I don't know what, I don't recall what it was. And I think I said no. And then that, that was the first thing he went there. But it's easy. It's easy to go there. Someone gets mad at you, and that's the first thing they say. That's when you know, yeah, you're right. You are not, quote unquote, fully able-bodied, if you will. That's when they kind of remind you that. Dave goes into what life was like and what some of his experiences were after he moved to the United States. Seventh grade, we're in a class. We're supposed to be like the smartest class in the school, like the sm smartest seventh graders. Right, right, accelerated class. So we had seven one. So it's the last class of the day, Miss Knudsen class. That math class, I never studied for that class. But somehow I ended up with an A. There's a girl sitting behind me. Her name was Kendra. I don't care. Her name was Kendra. You can keep that name in it. <laughs> so I'm just, she sits behind me. I'm minding my business. So they're not paying attention to the teacher. And, you know, they start cracking jokes. The second they start cracking jokes, I knew it. I knew I wouldn't be a target. And then she started talking about me. I don't remember exactly what she said, but she's just talking about I think one of the things that's, that I do remember was like, why is your hand like that? And, I, and when she started laughing, and people were saying, oh, don't do that. And the people that would even say, don't do that, they were still smiling and laughing and saying, don't do that. I remember I walked out and I started crying. And people that I knew in the hallway was acting what was wrong. I couldn't like muster up the courage to even say, you know, she did this. I remember I walked all the way home crying. Then when I got home, my dad and my mom asked, why are you crying? And I said, someone was looking fine on my, my handicap. And they said, so is that why you're crying? I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you don't know what it's like to be me. I was so fucking annoyed when they said that. Because I'm telling you, if I tell them right now, they probably still wouldn't get it. Because they don't know what it's like. And in the eighth grade, they moved me out of that class. I don't know why. So I'm not in the salary anymore. I'm in eight five, which I was annoyed. And so we're in the homeroom. And a friend of mine, we're just sitting there minding our own business. We're in science class, actually, because my home teacher was also my science class. So we have to go back there for sixth period class, for sixth period science. Yeah, not paying attention to the teacher. We're just minding our business, myself and my friend. And some kids started just making fun of me. And that's, that's when I got tired. So I wanted to fight them. I was going to pick up a desk. Here's what people don't know. When you're relying on one hand for everything, you can do a lot more things quicker with one hand than most people can with two hands. Button up my shirt with one hand is just that simple. It doesn't take that long because of the practice over the years. So I could have hurt that kid. I could have hurt that kid. I could have, because my mindset was, I'm tired of this. I'm going to pick something. I'm going to hit you with it. Everyone is telling them to chill because, you know, given my situation, you know, it's not a fair fight. But what they don't know is that I was going to pick something up and hit that kid. I used to think about that and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have any remorse at all. And probably someone would say, well, you probably want to go to jail for that. But I could have said, well, well, I got tired of it. Eighth grade, we had to play soccer in the gym. And I remember I didn't want to do it. Like, gym. Like, you know, I failed gym because I didn't want to put myself out there. So I remember, like, I went to summer school for gym. Who was in summer school for gym? Me. I tried to get an excuse, but then my doctor said, no, um, he should be able to. And he was right. He was right. I, I could be active, but I just didn't want it because I didn't want the teacher. The gym teacher said, okay, we're going to have a competition, a volleyball competition, right? Every eighth grade class. So I think there were like 12, 12 or 13 eighth grade classes. So we had eight five, and we got, we got to compete against eight six or something. And the only people to show up for eight five were like three people, including myself. I don't know. I wasn't even going. I just wanted to go like take a peek and see who showed up. And the teacher told me and said, you got you to gotta join them. So, you know, we're playing volleyball. I can't use two hands, right? But I'll have to use the right hand to hit the ball. So they, so they all started laughing. 
the opponent started laughing. So A6, they started laughing. And no one knew what was going on until someone said, you know, oh, he can't really, he can't use the other hand. He just has to be relying on one hand. So that doesn't help. No one laughed at me in Ghana. They just, you know, had to say something rude when they need something. But here they laughed and make you feel some sort of way. I remember we were playing soccer, and I remember the highlight of that game was that I did a step over, and I took a shot, and everybody was so amazed. I'm like, why are you amazed? Like, I think that was one time I actually liked Jim because we were playing soccer, and I was the only good player on, on there. Well, myself and my friend who was Haitian and Cuban, he was also good too. So imagine all these kids, and soccer's not on your list. It's basketball or football, and being out, and being at, you know, giving where I'm from, and soccer is a big deal. I mean, I think that was only, that's the only time I liked him when we were playing soccer. Because I could, because I was carefree, I didn't care. They didn't know how to mark me or guard me. So, I, so I mean, if I'm playing against someone else that, that knows the game, I mean, they're going to have the advantage. But being that they didn't know much about soccer, I mean, I was drumming. I, I mean, might as well give me a contract or something, you know? So I asked Dave more specifically about his disability, if he had a diagnosis for it. And here he talks about his journey to seeing if there was any way that his condition could be improved. My junior year is when it was either my mom or my dad said, uh, you know, let's go see what we can do about my handicap. So first I went to my primary doctor. And then he recommended that I go to Bethesda Hospital to go see some sort of specialist. So I went there and they started having me doing exercise, you know. I don't know what it was, but you just have to like put your hand on it. And just, it's almost like a bicycle, but you're using your hand. I don't know the name. But I started doing that. And then after a while, this they sent me to University Hospital. I saw like four doctors had a look at my situation. They said the plan was they're going to inject Botox. Because I knew what Botox was, right? I think Botox is just to make you look younger. And how does it make you look younger? By relaxing the muscles. So it's stiff. So the Botox is gonna relax the muscles. So every three months I gotta get Botox. So once I get the Botox, right, I have to do some physical therapy. And to me, being in Ghana and knowing that I was coming here, I thought there was gonna be some breakthrough like operation where the left would be just like the right. So when they said that, oh, you know, no, this is what we can do. We can't do anything else. You know, just physical therapy and Botox so you can get some movement, you know, maybe like 60% or 7% mobility. That kind of just, it annoyed me, and I lost hope. I wanted to be just like my right, you know, and they said, oh, we can't do that. I mean, if I'm trying to pick up a chair, I can pick up a chair, but I'll be depending more on my right side of my body and the muscle than my left, because the right side is obviously stronger. So it's not just my arm, but like, see, I, it's easy for me to close my right eye, but for my left, I have to like hold it, and even then it will open up by itself. And so like, there's a slight limp, you wouldn't even notice it. Most people that I know don't even know. The actual diagnosis, recently, I think maybe like three or four months ago, I tried to call my primary doctor at the time, and he lost his license. It was suspended. They say unsanitary, something about him being unsanitary with his practice. So I think the state has my medical records. I go to the doctor and it said that, you know, he's been suspended. So if you were a former patient and you want those records, call this number. But when I call him, no response. I have a friend and she was telling me that, you know, this. she thinks that it was the way I was pulled out, out of my mother. So when she said that, I actually want to see what they actually have in my medical records in regards to that. It's only one of those things where I'm going to call, but it's never really on the top of my list. I have this fear, right, that when I get in front of people, that's all they're seeing. It affects me in the sense that sometimes, like, even my speech, it's almost like, is that what my mind is? My mind is going somewhere else. Like, is that what they're looking at? So, like, sometimes I mumble. Sometimes, oh, you talk too fast. You got to slow down. And then sometimes I got to slow down. And then blah, blah, blah. And all this. It's like you're under a microscope. Because even while I work now, like, it's weird, right? People who are black, whether they're African or African-American, 
they will inquire about it. Anyone who's not that, it's like they're afraid to ask. Dave and I got into his romantic relationships and he talks here about how this has affected his relationship with women and some of what he wishes for. I have an easier chance um, with African-American women, white women, and Latinas, right? In terms of like some form of relationship with them, that's, I have an easy chance of that. But with African women, not so much. No. One girl told me that she likes guys with, uh, I think, broad shoulders. She says she finds them attractive. And then it makes sense to me, but guess what? That's what she likes. There are women who, who like guys that are in shape. There are women who like guys that are a bit heavy. Just like there are guys who prefer women that are quite shapely, right? Things of that nature. Oh, she got to have short hair or curly hair or anything of that nature, right? So I get that part. What I don't get behind the stigma with my handicap in terms of women that I've come across is that what it's associated with. It's almost like, well, you, you know, some sort of bad luck or some curse or something. You know, there was a, someone trying to set me up with some Nigerian girl. And uh, everything was going well, right? So I tried to be upfront with her, and she thought I was lying, thought I was joking as well. She was like, okay, send me a picture, right? She was living in Nigeria, actually. So I sent her a picture, and then she goes, oh, you know, we're handling this because my family won't agree. Just like that. I do the online dating thing, you know, Tinder. You know, on Tinder, you you can find all, all kind of women in terms of backgrounds, right? I matched with a Liberian girl. Everything was fine for like two weeks. Because of what I've occurred in the past with African women, I thought I'd be upfront with her. You know, like she was very Americanized too, you know? So I tell her, and then she felt, she was like, oh, you know, I feel deceived. Why didn't you tell me about She felt some sort of way. She felt like she was deceived. And then, so I said, okay, that's not a problem. So, you know, I don't bore anyone in it. Well, I'm disappointed, but I don't bore anyone well. I delete her number. Okay, you're not interested. Okay, we don't really have anything to talk about. So two weeks later, she calls me, and the number looks familiar, but I'm not thinking about it, so I don't know if that's her. And then I picked up the phone and I said, who is this? And she was like, oh, why are you trying to act like you don't know who this is? She was trying to say, please don't please don't think I'm a bad person, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I don't think we're bad. Of course, she felt some sort of way. I'm like, I don't think we're a bad person. I mean, it's just your preference. My problem is that, you know, the, your reason behind choosing not to talk to me. You know, and it's just not that. I remember, you know, there was a girl that I used to mess with. And she came to my house saying, you know, shit happened, right? They had sex. And so it became a reoccurring thing, right? And then I said to myself, you know, do you want to go out? Like, let's go have dinner or something. And she was like, oh, I'm tired, no, blah, blah, blah. It was so weird, like, she would come over, and she would sleep, and she would even cook for me. She was Nigerian, by the way. <laughs> I have some Nigerian friends that would even cook for you. Like, uh-uh, unless you're dating, I'm not cooking for you, blah, blah, blah. But she would cook for me, and I'm like, okay, so why are we not going out? And then she said, oh, yeah. I was annoyed, but, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? it is in the movies right because I, me- I remember it was it van vicker was in the movie and i think he was quite well off i know it's just a movie but most african movies are based on true stories right so i mean or oh, some form of real stories if you want so he was he was having seizures and we know the guy was rich the parents said no he's not i guess in their mind he's not healthy the girl who said my parents will not agree the Nigerian girl if someone parents said they won't agree why not because they don't see me as healthy Right? And if they don't see me as healthy, why don't they see me as healthy? It's not just me that's thinking that, but it's some people always think that, you know, someone has done something to your family or something, like, you know, your family did something, that's why, you know, you came out this way. I mean, unless someone wants to tell me that's not it, and it's just that they prefer someone 100% able-bodied, then, I mean, I like to know, because black American women don't have a problem with it. I almost moved to England for a girl. That one just didn't pan out, but she didn't care. She didn't care that that was the situation. 
basically most of my friends are Nigerians, if anything, right? So I went to some barbecue. It was like, I think some holiday or Labor Day or something. So we're there and then there's a girl that I see and we, and you know, we're making jokes about Ghana and Nigeria, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the night, I'm leaving. I'm saying hello to all these people that I just met, right? And she noticed it and like, and then I felt some sort of way, right? I don't know why I felt some sort of way. I'm not trying to date her, but it's almost like she's taking it back. But I'm like, oh my God, what the hell is that? It's almost like we're having a conversation, we're laughing, and all of a sudden she gets quiet. And it gets where I'm like, you know, I, okay, so maybe, maybe I need to understand that from their, from their point of view, you know, they, they didn't know, like they're just talking to me like I'm just like them. But then when she noticed that, it made me feel some sort of way and I'm ready to get the hell out of there. While he's dated and is open to a life with non-African women, he does talk about his yearnings and some of his difficulties with dating African women. I kind of yearn for the African women, you know, over African-American and white. Like, my name, I'm ready, yo. I'm ready. Because like, oh, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I see, like, sometimes you'll be walking and you see, a, like, a, a young a black couple and you're like, and their kid. And I'm like, you know, I should have that by now, right? But then, like, I'm not finding that, you know. Sometimes, you know, sometimes some people don't like. Sometimes you don't like some people. Like, you're trying to find a perfect match. I'm gonna say, like, I yearn for that. The woman that I, I, that I may have in a marriage, she could be. I don't care what what background she is. I really don't care. But being around African women, you kind of like, you know, you see African women, like, God damn, like, it's African women. You know, I don't care whether she's from Liberia, South Africa. Like, you see, if you're an attractive African woman, like, God damn. To conclude, Dave speaks about how his disability has affected his confidence as well as his ability to interact in certain situations. It's kind of like, maybe, again, it's maybe timid and someone say, well, that's your problem and blah, blah, And yes, it is, but I don't want to be the center of attention just for that. Even at work, like, I don't want any attention. Like, we, we, you know, like, we have, like, a lot of meetings and stuff at work. Like, sometimes, like, I feel like I try not to talk. I don't want to say anything. I just, I'm just quiet because I don't want to bring that attention to myself. Because I know that, because I feel like if I bring attention to myself, my, so basically, I, I have to get over that because I'm thinking like, okay, they're looking. So that affects what I'm trying to say. Because now I'm focusing on that. On that I'm, my mind is somewhere thinking they're looking and I'm trying to talk at the same time. There's no such thing as multitasking. Some professor told me that, but I agree that you can't multitask. So I just keep my mouth shut. Listen, there are people who have it worse than I do, right? I know that. I'm not, I'm not being naive to that. But, but the majority are not me. The majority are you. From the physical side, I just want to be just like everyone else. Whatever's going on internally, you know, it's going on internally. But from the outside, I just want to be like everyone else. Okay, so after listening to the story, Wale, how do you feel? Talk to me. What do you think? Anytime anybody's different, I don't feel like we are prepared to deal with people like that it may not come from a bad place sometimes because it's not something that's normalized or taken care of in our societies it's something most people are not you know they're not trained to deal with so i think that's what he dealt with a lot of the time because he kept talking about african-american women and you know white women and others not seeing it as a stumbling block but then when it came to african women it was something totally different I find that interesting as well. I find that, you know, even when in talking to him, he mentioned that a lot of the African girls that he would talk to would say after they found out that their parents wouldn't agree with it. Um, and this isn't an unfamiliar notion in our society as far as a lot of our decisions, even coming down to marriage, having to be approved by our parents or whatever. And so it seems like in our society, we really have a certain 
outlook on differently abled people. One time that I was in Nigeria, my brother-in-law had gotten into an accident that basically left him in a cast, like one of his legs was in a cast, and he did not want to go out at all. He was so intent on staying indoors because of how people outside were going to receive him. And, you know, living here, I I just couldn't wrap my head around it. I was like, what's, what's the big deal about having your leg in a cast? But it's just that people will look at you as if being differently abled means you are somehow lesser than. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of us, even after we've migrated to countries like America or Europe or just countries that make more allowances for differently abled people, a lot of us still carry that mentality that, you know, maybe he's cursed or maybe their families, you know, that very reductive. I don't even know. I don't even know what to call it. Yeah, I would like to say that a part of me doesn't quite know if I believe the women who use the line of my parents Mm. wouldn't agree. I feel like it's an easy thing to say. Yeah, it's an easy And it's an easy way, yeah. It's an easy way to just get out of the situation. The girl who was having sex with him and was okay with having sex with him, was okay with doing everything else and cooking for him and staying inside and all this stuff. But being seen out with him was a problem for her. Even in a place that's accepting of all sorts of people and we're not like crazy over these things. When you were raised in a in a place like many Africans are in countries that you don't have stuff like wheelchair accessible buildings or you have places where they don't make the consideration of thinking of, oh, what if somebody with a wheelchair would want to come through this place? They just figure out, well, you figure it out by yourself. If you grew up in that, I'm not going to call you a bad person. And he did say that. He didn't see them as bad people. He just felt somehow about the excuses they gave. And I felt like he probably felt that way as well. Like, yeah, you're saying this, but I don't know if I really believe that's why, you know, you don't want to. When he talks about people seeing him or noticing that and not even just how he how it makes him feel but when he notices them noticing and so it's it seems like it's either one of two things and and I'm speaking in general it's either as a society where we're not even thinking or being considerate of differently abled people or when we do notice you know it's a human thing to notice something but at the same time when we do notice it becomes kind of what we are fixated on it is heartbreaking when it's either one of two things. It's either people like the white people that he talked about, people pretend that they don't see it at all because it makes them uncomfortable or they fixate on it in a way that ends up making that person feel uncomfortable. The part where he started talking about doubting himself yeah. and how it affects his confidence. Most of us have confidence issue relating to one thing or the other. You know, some of us have anxiety issues relating to whatever. Some of us have fear of speaking, even though we speak Mm -hmm. very well. Everybody has, you know, one thing or the other. But when you have something that's very out there, that's not an internal thing, and you have something that people can look at, I imagine that the weight is even heavier because it's It's, like it's heavier so they can see that and then whatever is happening inside you add that also and that just like complicates that process so i just it it really it really made me feel feel bad for him you know when he talks about how he was received in ghana and how it would only be weaponized whenever people couldn't get their way with him versus how kids here in the u.s received him and how he didn't even need to do anything 
in order to receive vitriol for that. I remember back in Nigeria, there was a kid, whenever we would go to Lagos, there was a kid, he was deaf, I know that. Um, I remember people would like pick on him and it would be every once in a while and it was just for the laughs, it was for the kicks, just to see how he would respond. I'm listening to him talk about his experiences here in America, about how kids would make fun of him and even the kids that were saying stop you know we're still laughing as they were saying so that hit me I'm not even gonna lie (laughs) because I I was bullied when I first came here and I I remember that I remember when the kids would be bullying me and their friends would be like oh my god (laughs) stop that's not funny but they're laughing you know and they're laughing in a way that is encouraging I'm glad that bullying is being taken more seriously now but I really just want that to be understood that it's it's not okay and it was torturous back then when i think of boarding school and the kids who were bullied i i think of you know the challenges they have and everything it was really bad for them but it was in a place where they were they were among they understood the lingo they understood the language they understood the way of life and everything imagine somebody going into a new system where you don't know the slangs you don't have friends Mm -hmm. like that has to be super hard yeah, and I can imagine yeah, it, it was for him. Yeah, obviously not everyone can be brave and we all have moments where we've fallen short. But I think that there is something to say about people who watch oppression, especially people who are in the position to step in and stop it, but who watch it and who just allow it to thrive. To that point, I just want to say that evil or oppression doesn't need your activism in order to thrive. All it requires is your silence. That's something that I want people to start thinking more and more about. You know, if you're seeing some bullshit happen around you and you know that it's harmful to other people, why are you silent? That was a good story. Um, that was a good story. Kendra, wherever you are. Oh, yeah. I, li- I, like, <laughs> I like the way he said. My man, my man said, leave it. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> Shout out to the Kendras and the Niasias. <laughs> he said, leave it. Don't take the label. <laughs> He said, don't take it off. <laughs> In the same spirits, Naija, wherever you are, God is watching you. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. My God will judge you. <laughs> that, that was really funny. This is episode seven, right? Yes. Okay. So yeah, um, thanks to everybody also for listening. Thanks for the feedback. Yeah. We should read out the iTunes reviews sometime. We should. You know what? Maybe we should do that next episode. Um, we're going to read out the iTunes, iTunes review at some point. Hopefully in the next episode if we're able to. But yeah, so thank you. Keep listening. Keep sharing with your friends. Thanks for your support. Keep keep doing what you're doing. We really appreciate it. I was looking yesterday and I saw that we were like top five in Grenada. And I was like, Yeah. What is <laughs> I was like, Who is in Grenada? But it doesn't matter. I continue listening. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. Whoever you know, shout out to the people in Grenada listening to the podcast. That's shout out to Grenada. That's dope. <laughs> uh, yeah, so thank you so much for listening. We're gonna be back with you in two weeks with a yeah. new episode. Yeah, see y'all in two weeks. Tell me out.